you're allowed to sit way back there if you want to. Um, I enjoyed being here last night. I learned a lot, and I liked the discussion. I like when people talk, and I uh, always appreciated uh, Peckwood Church here. We went up 340 for the last 10 years before we moved to Kinzer's to go to Weavertown Church. So we went past here for a number of years. It's like one of the brothers said last night that uh, the Peckway people are a friendly bunch. So uh, I'm looking forward to the night. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 6. And we're going to overlap a little bit from last night, starting in verse 24. And we're going to continue just a couple minutes and talk about money. So I'm curious, uh, when you think about the Bible, and the Bible speaks about negative things, do you think negative things in the Bible are sin? Like when you read the Bible, and it's something negative that the Bible's talking about, or that Jesus is teaching, is that sin if it's negative? Laughter. Money. Food. Worrying. And those are all things that we deal with every single day. Like the drunkards and the gluttoners, they're both together. Laughter is not mentioned about, about a positive thing one time in the Bible that I'm aware of. It talks about a merry heart being good medicine, but not laughter. Money causes a lot of people to fall. But still we have all these things every day. I think my most exciting word that I studied in this, these verses was the word worry. I always thought the word worry is not a good thing for a Christian. And if you look at the word worry, it's actually in the Greek, it's a maranona, something like that. And it means to be concerned, to be anxious, or to care. So when, I'll go over this a little later then, but when Jesus was going to the cross, what was he? When he was praying in the garden, what was he? Keep that in mind. And also, I was studying about this 
word worry is throughout the Bible, the Bible characters, their worries turned into worship. Matthew 6, 24. I'm going to read it in DSV. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Verse 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptations and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Now when you hear those verses and you read them, we would all agree it's talking about money, is that right? The love of money is the root of all evil. We agree, right? Verse 11 says we should flee these things. But still on a Sunday morning, we come here to church with money in our pocket. And even worse, we, we pass the bucket around and collect all this stuff that we should flee from. At the end of the service, we bless each other, and we tell each other to have a good week, and we rush around five or six days to collect more money that we should flee from. If you don't read the Bible, the whole Bible, you'll take it out of context. Thank you, Sam. But money destroyed a lot of people. Okay, I'm good with that. The lust of money destroyed a lot of people and brought them many hurtful things. Okay, let's calm down a little bit and read the Bible how it's explained. When Jesus talks about money, it is negative sometimes, but it is still something that we deal with every day and we need money or we want money. But if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse, worse than an infidel. I believe that verse is talking about 
money, food, and just providing, right? Would you agree? Is that all? Or spiritually? That's right. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be, be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will never fear what man can do to me. Now I'm a dairy farmer and I love the topic of food. My wife couldn't be here tonight because our daughter's sick, but the rest of the children came with us. We milk 103 cows with two robots at Eugene Lapp's farm, and my job is to produce food. So when you read the Bible, and you look at verse 25. Jesse, read 25, please. Yep. Thank you. So we, when you read verse 25, what do you think? We all have lots of food in our home. Is that verse for us? So this is not verse, this verse not for us. You're doing well? So the Bible refers to food 1,200 times in the Bible. So it's obviously a very important thing, which we know that we, that's how we survive. Isn't it important to recognize that what we have to eat is from God? 
Amen. Well, we're allowed to complain every once in a while we have leftovers. Okay. I'll let you and the Lord decide that. So, so the thing of serving food and fellowshipping over food and having fellowship meals, inviting people over to have food is a really good thing. Jesus did it with his disciples. But I think we take it for granted too often. As Americans, I don't ever remember that we didn't have enough food to eat. I never had to worry. So how many people live on earth right now? Between seven and eight billion. In the last 20 years, how many people died because of the lack of food per year? Just make a guess. One million per year? Okay. So nine million died per year because of hunger and hunger-related diseases. That's 24,000 people every single day. Right now, there's 34,000 Amish people living in Lancaster County. So how many people go to bed hungry every night in the world? Just a wild guess. 300? 811 million. 811 million. Dirty water kills 5,000 children every single day. One of them, yeah. To say one of them. It seems that is one thing, especially mothers fear mm -hmm. in countries That's where right. there's mm -hmm. lack. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so with, with all this, isn't this a little bit mean for God to say to the worry about food? I was hoping somebody would answer or would ask that question and answer it for me. I know he is. So, right on. One thing that I learned when I was in Haiti um, is that someone can have just as fulfilled of a life and be hungry every day than someone around here that has enough. Um, 
Yeah, that's right. So that's one problem we have. And the next problem we have, <clears throat> how many people do you think die every year because of overweight? That's us now. Really close. No, I had that wrong. That's my next subject. At least 2.8 million die each year as a result of overweight. That means 7,000 people die every day because they're overweight. So what's wrong? So we don't read our Bible and they don't read their Bible or how's that working? You're right. If everybody would divide the food and everybody would be filled, we would still have 10% too much food. But we could feed everyone. Then aren't there some countries like India where because of having cows as considered sacred and holy, mm -hmm. yeah. where religion has yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of problems. Yep. The tobacco epidemic is one of the biggest public health threats the world has ever faced, killing more than 8 million people a year around the world. More than 7 million of those deaths are the result of direct tobacco use, while around 1.2 million are the result of non-smokers being exposed to secondhand smoke. 22,000 dying every day because of tobacco. 24,000 dying every day because of lack of food. Unbelievable. This food, this food thing is a big deal. What we take in is a big deal. It can almost make you feel depressed in what's going on around us. We're so busy doing our own things that we barely recognize it.
Yeah, that's correct. So was, were there any people that went to heaven because they fed people? water you, you have a reward right yep yep that's right and their answer was we never knew that we did that Jesus said in Mark 14, 7, you will always have poor people with you, and anytime you want to, you can help them. But you will not always have me with you. So even in Jesus' day, he recognized that there will always be poor people. But we are to help them if we can. Do you have any more thoughts on the food? So are you, are you making us feel guilty to eat? No. I was really hoping somebody would have some answers, but I am going to suggest that you should probably start worrying about it. Because worry will turn you to God and you will start asking the Lord what you're supposed to do next now. According to the Greek word, we should be concerned what's going on around us. Verse 26, but behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Are ye not much better than they? That's talking about carefree life, right? Or is it? It seems 
It seems that way. And this verse again. Is there birds that starve to death? Probably. Probably. Yep. So there's around three, 300 billion birds on the earth. And they're not sure how many of them starve each year because of food. But each year it's estimated that one billion birds fly against glass windows and get killed. One billion. That's a lot of birds. And when I, when I read that, I was like, but God, why? You're taking care of them, right? Is it God's fault that they're flying against glass? What do you think? It's man's fault. So we really should go back to Genesis 1, right? Well, we should take care of the animals. But that's just my suggestion, but I don't know what to do about it. But it's a problem. So it's a human error. Verse 20, go ahead. Subdue them. Okay. What does subdue mean? Teachers, where are you? Subdue. Subject. You're supposed to be subject to us. Okay. Verse 27. Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider lilies of the field how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God clothes so the, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, 
What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. When I look at these passages, I wondered, why is King Solomon right in the middle of these verses? Solomon was not content. What else? He had everything he needed. He worked like everything, and it still wasn't enough. Okay. Vanity of vanity, what, what profit hath a man of all the labor which he doeth under the sun? Vanity of vanities, yep. Last night, Tim said, by default, we fall away from God. And I think that's what happened to Solomon. When you think of Solomon's life, he had a carefree, worry-free, pretty much life. His dad set everything up for him. He had a couple things he had to take care of in the beginning, beginning of his kingdom. But after that, he pretty much rolled away. He was the wisest man on earth. And I wonder, if it would have been better for Solomon to have some worries, some concerns about his future, about his children, about you know what. Something that he would have worried about that he would have worshipped God. Instead, he had everything he wanted. You can read a lot of books about a carefree life and a worry-free life and how to take care of your worries. But I wonder, is that really the answer? I think God actually made us that we, we worry, but it should turn us to Him and not make us all Bend out of shape. I wondered about that. Is that biblical? Some people insist if you worry. Worrying is a sin. Take no worries for tomorrow. 
But then we go to um, verse 33. If you go back in the Greek, verse, but first seek ye the kingdom of God. Another verse, version says, instead be concerned above everything else with the kingdom of God and with what he requires of you and he will provide you with all these other things. But first, worry about the kingdom of God and what God requires of you. And then he will give you all these other things. So it's definitely a spiritual problem. But we need to seek God. And chase after him and, and, and pursue God to see what he has for us. Exactly. For a Christian, if you have enough, I wouldn't pray that. But if some people, it would actually be good if they would have more things to worry about. That's right. Because I really think God wants us to live a balanced life, taking care of our families, pursuing Him, and not go off one ditch or the other. We love to split hairs. That way we can feel better about ourselves. But then a couple verses later in Philippians there, Paul is actually commenting Timothy about being concerned about him. So it's the kingdom of God that God wants us to be concerned about, about the things of God. That's right. That's right. And for your family, if you don't have enough. Mm-hmm. 
So you said the Greek word of worry was concern. Mm-hmm. Is that every time or in certain situations? Concern or anxious? I think anxious is, see, anxious is maybe taking a little bit. Too far. No, no, that, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. But it's summarizing, I, I think, here, after all these things the Gentiles seek, this is what they're seeking, but seek ye again the difference between. That's right. Or you use the word anxious. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm starting to get a I, I see where you're yep. starting to. No, I, I don't want anybody to defend me. I, 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 I'd rather we all. Dive into the Bible and defend the Bible, but we need we, we need to know what the Bible says. That that's that's what I'm trying to get across. If if we just live a, a carefree life, it that's very secular. Like just a happy good life. It, it's not. Yeah. Right. Because it is, it is the will of God that all men would be saved. brings up a good point. I was, I was wondering about that too, when, when we, we shouldn't then worry about what we're supposed to eat. We're supposed to be just like the birds, or, or behold the birds. Does that mean when we don't feel like getting up, 
rather than laying there worrying or even praying to God that he would bring the food to us, we should just get up and get the food or go out and grow something. Is that what he's saying also? Sometimes we just need to take action and do it because that's how the birds do. And we are really, our culture is really strong in that area. We do a lot of things. We just do it and we often don't pray about it. So we're a little off balance maybe, but we'll get there. And they were happy? They had to gather it, yep. Mm -hmm, yep. Good point, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they prayed and God provided, yeah. That's right. Well, that's how I would read the text here. There is good worry and there's bad worry. Just like fear, there's bad fear and good fear. And if, if I'm thinking right or looking right, it is, even though I think it's the same word, maybe I'm splitting hairs, I stand to be corrected on that. But sometimes we just need to make our food and grow it. And sometimes we need to Pray. Because when you don't turn it over to God, you can't worry yourself sick. Of course. Of course. And that worry is sin. So we talked about fear being a motivator. Anger can be a motivator too. The Bible says be angry and sin not. That's correct. We have all these emotions anyway that God gave us for free. It's not that we have to buy them or anything. It's they're in us. And I think God made it. We're made to use them, I think. read the last two verses but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you 
Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is evil, the evil thereof. So let's look at some uh, Old Testament figures. Remember Abraham <clears throat> when um, he couldn't have children, 86 years old, and Sarah said, okay, you can have Hagar for your wife now and have some children. Twelve years later, Sarah was jealous and told Abraham to get rid of Hagar and her son. At that time, what was Abraham doing? This was his son. Genesis 21 verse 11 and 12. And these things were very grievous to Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Very grievous. You think Abraham was actually worried? Of course, of course, should be. But it turned him to God. Because after this, he did not marry another woman till Sarah died. What happened when Jacob fled and he laid at the ladder 
where he laid on a stone overnight and there was a ladder going up to heaven. And he woke up the next morning. What did he do? And what did he do next? I don't think he did that time. He built something, though. He made a promise to God. But how did he do it? He got his olive oil and anointed a stone. He was worried for his life. He was fleeing. How about when Jacob was coming back then? When he had all his wealth and his brother was coming afar off with 300 men. Was Jacob worried? Yes. Yes. He was worried for his life and he wrestled with God all night long. That's what the Bible says. Let me see if I got that verse. Go ahead. That's right. That's right. That's right. And he wasn't trusting God. Okay. Mm-hmm. He saw what God did to Laban. Laban came to kill him. Mm-hmm. God protected him. God told him, You will go back to that land. I will give you that land. See, I'm 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 totally good with the idea that if I'm worrying, I'm not trusting. I'm good with that. But I'm also, but I really, I really want to point out how these people that we so much look up to, they're worried, and God came through when they pursued him. Maybe they weren't trusting. Right. You know what I mean, Sam? Does that make sense? But if it, if it drives us to God... It's something that God can use for his glory. Here's the verse. Genesis 42, verse 2 to 3. And God spake unto Israel in the vision of the night. Not that one, sorry. Yeah, I'll read that one. And Jacob said... And God spake unto Israel in the vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down to Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. And that's the verse I wanted for later. Later in Jacob's life, when he, when Joseph was in Egypt already, God appeared to Jacob. And it says here, Fear not. Because he was obviously, he was fearing over that time. And God appeared to him again and said, go, for I am with you. Here's what some worldly people say, not from the Bible. I'm not sure if they're worldly. Anyway, when it comes to worry, that function is pretty clear. It draws out attention to the fact that there's something we maybe should be doing or preparing or for 
or preventing. It gives us the motive to do something about it that can lead to some important choices. Proverbs 12.25 Worry weighs a person down, and encouraging words cheers a person up. And the reason I want that verse is because if we worry and don't give it to God, it's going to weigh us way down. Was that the five-minute bell? Yeah, that, that's fine. Okay, awesome. So, now let's go, let's go to Jesus. When Jesus was in the garden, what was he doing when he took the three disciples with him and he said, pray here while I go over there? What was Jesus doing? He was crying out to the Father. Jesus never sinned. Luke twenty-two forty-one to 44. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and praying, saying, Father, if thou will be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Some people believe that Jesus was in fear or he was anxious. I really don't want to debate it, but think about it. Was Jesus worried about the cross? Was he worrying about you? Was he, what was going through Jesus' mind? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And, and that's what I think we, we, we need to keep in mind as we go about our life. Jesus was in agony. Something was really heavy on him. And people say it was the sins of the world. I believe it. Was it more? I think it probably was. But Jesus was in agony. But he said, Father, not my will, but your will. And I think that's, that's where we need to go with all our worries is to the Father. Use us, Lord. We're, we're here. How can we help others? Some of you are probably worrying about the future. And I do sometimes. Because there's uncertainty in front of us. It always was in humanity. Some of you will have awful things happening to you. And some of you will have big blessings coming your way. But trust the Father. Give Him your worries. 
I think that's what Jesus wants us to learn from his example. It's written for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your many blessings. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for 